0: welcome to Word Online. Hello and welcome to series 5 and episode 15, the healing of two oppressed men. And we're going to be looking at Luke 8 verses 26 to 39. We'll also be referring to the parallel accounts in Matthew 8 and Mark 5. This is a very dramatic episode And it follows on from an equally dramatic episode that we looked at last time. If you were with us for episode 14, you'll remember we looked at the remarkable storm that arose on the Sea of Galilee very suddenly while Jesus was crossing with his disciples. There were several boats together. They were going from the western side of the lake to the eastern side of the lake when this storm came. That was the topic of our last episode And immediately before that, Jesus had been in a very intensive situation of public ministry in Galilee on the western shore, which was the Jewish area, the Galilee province, and the area that was really the heartland of Jesus's ministry. The area where many of his disciples came from, the area where his home base town of Capernaum was situated And he'd been in a very intense ministry, some major confrontation with the Pharisees who denounced him as a false messiah. Matthew 12, 24, which was creating real difficulties and putting his life in danger, quite literally, because they might want to find a way of removing him or getting him executed. So there was difficulties there. He was under a lot of pressure from crowds, which was always an issue for him. And he had given some very important teaching recorded in Matthew 13 in its fullest version in the form of parables, seven parables, which spoke about the growth of the kingdom. Then there'd been a very tense and sad incident where his mother and his brothers were trying to get to meet him and see him. They couldn't get through the crowd. And Jesus spoke about who his mother and brothers were spiritually, those who obeyed him and his father and followed the way of the kingdom of God. So it was a tense time if we put all these ingredients together. We've got a lot of people, we've got a lot of themes, we've got a lot of issues going on, we've got an increasing sense of conflict with the religious establishment. We've got high expectations of the crowd on one occasion when the Pharisees denounced Jesus. The crowd at the same time was saying could this be the son of David? So there was popular support for Jesus. Maybe people were beginning to want to See him go to Jerusalem and take over the country. People would be talking in these terms. All sorts of complicated things were going on. And in that context, he suddenly decided he was going to go across the lake. We discussed that last time. It takes quite a long time to do 10, 12, 13 kilometers to get from the west to the eastern side of the lake. And during that time, this storm rose, which caused his disciples to be genuinely afraid. Afraid for their lives. Afraid of drowning right there in the middle of the lake. They woke Jesus up and he commanded the storm to cease. And then he challenged them about why they were afraid rather than exercising faith in his power. So this is the broader context and it has the feel of a significant spiritual battle. He's had significant opposition to his ministry, even being denounced as a false messiah, which is really serious. And then a life-threatening event in the middle of the lake And then he's heading towards now the territory of the Gentile towns and cities of a district known collectively as the Decapolis on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. This is outside Jewish territory, as we shall see from the way the story unfolds. We're in very different contexts, a place that as far as we know, Jesus has never been before, a place from which some people have definitely come to him to receive healing. And it looks as though he's going either to rest or maybe to extend the kingdom by preaching over there. We don't know for certain, but we do have a sense that this is a time of an important spiritual barrier. He's going over to a region which the Gospels describe either as the region of the Gerasenes or the region of the Gadarenes. These probably refer to the same area, but... Matthew uses in his account in Matthew 8 the term the Gadarenes, and this relates to a nearby town, one of the ten towns in this region called the Decapolis that was a coalition of, of independent city-states. Many years ago I had the opportunity to visit this particular town. It's now situated in the modern day country of Jordan, and it goes by the Arabic name Umm and... Whilst I was visiting Jordan some years ago, I was taken by a guide with a group to Umkais. And only when I got there did I discover that this is biblical Gadara, which is the basis of the area, the Gadarenes, which is the very place that Jesus came to. This town, Umkais, or Gadara, has a ruined area that goes back to Roman times, and some of the archaeology would go back to the time of Jesus And it's raised up on a hillside. And if you look north from there, I can remember it vividly. You can see very clearly the hills, the Golan Hills that come up from the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. You can actually see the Sea of Galilee from there. It's about 10 kilometers away. And as I saw that, I just imagined Jesus traveling across the lake from the other side, which is in modern day Israel, the Jewish side, the province of Galilee in Jesus's time crossing the lake and coming to this Gentile territory of the Gadarenes. And this is the story that we're going to discuss today. So let's turn to Luke 8 and we'll go to verse 26 and we'll read through the whole story to verse 39. They sail to the region of the Gerasenes or the Gadarenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed or demonised man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting, At the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained, hand and foot, and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon, into solitary places. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him and they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go to the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Well, you don't get many stories as dramatic as that. And they involve us understanding the spiritual world that Jesus was operating in very clearly. And so we need to spend a bit of time just thinking about some of the underlying realities that are referred to in this story. One of the first and obvious things to note. Is that pigs are mentioned here. And there's obviously a very dramatic circumstance concerning the herd of pigs. But pigs were forbidden in Israel. Pork was Forbidden was against the law of Moses, so there were no herds of pigs in Israel. This is an indication that we are in Gentile, non-Jewish territory where pigs were used for food. Now, the man in question in Luke is described in Matthew as having a companion, as there actually being another man who was in a similar condition to the main person in this story. I'll focus on the particular man in Luke's account, but there's a second man with a similar situation who receives a healing. And sometimes in the gospel accounts, we need to add the details together to get the fuller picture. You see the circumstances here are that these men are in are the circumstances of demonization. The New International Version, the NIV from which I'm reading, always tends to use the term demon-possessed. A slightly more accurate term would probably be demonized, having a demonic presence of some sort, small or large, within an individual person. Now, the New Testament throughout acknowledges the existence of personal demonic forces and describes their activity so i'm now going to just use some of the details of this story to describe some of the circumstances and symptoms of the impact of demonic forces on the human person in this particular case these two men had a heavy evil influence their behavior was extreme they'd lost the ability to socialize to function normally in society. They obviously were subject to erratic behavior and it became impossible for their community to maintain their presence. And so they had to end up living outside mainstream society, outside in the tombs, outside the villages. Their extreme behavior was very problematical for other people. But more important than that, they were suffering in an extreme way. They had a sense of being oppressed and controlled by dark forces, a sense of self-destruction operating within their beings that they couldn't fully understand. And the evil forces operating within them could even speak through them, as is the case in the story here, when... The impure spirit is commanded to come out, and the main character of the two speaks, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. This is, in fact, the voice of the demonic power speaking through the man and being afraid that its own power would be taken away by Jesus's power coming to bear. But we also have here a description of the casting out of demons. Jesus clearly had the power and authority. It's demonstrated here very decisively. And at the very beginning, Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Right from the very beginning of seeing him, he immediately knew what the situation was. He immediately knew it had a spiritual dimension. It wasn't just an emotional or a social problem or a physical problem. And he commanded the main impure spirit to come out of the man the authority of Jesus meant that the spirit obeyed and there were other spirits there too as far as we can understand and they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go to the abyss now this seems to be a very mysterious comment let's just think about this for a moment let's think about the destiny of demonic forces, demonic spirits, according to the Bible. We have to go back a little bit before we can explain this and to remind ourselves that in prehistory, before the creation of mankind, there was a rebellion against God amongst angelic forces led by a spirit we generally call Satan or the devil. That led to the formation of a group of fallen angels as what we would call demons, evil spirits, intent on destroying the creation that God had made and challenging his authority. It's these demonic forces that have intruded upon the life of humans right from the very beginning when the serpent, Satan disguised as a serpent, tempted Eve and Adam and Eve fell into sin and all the way through the history of mankind according to the biblical account there is a conflict between satanic forces and humanity and that conflict can be stated very clearly by reference back to the very beginning of the bible to the third chapter of genesis where god brings about the curse for sin and one of the things that he states to Satan, to the serpent, in Genesis 3.15, is I'll put enmity between you, the serpent, and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This is considered to be a prophecy about Jesus Christ, that the woman, Eve, would ultimately have offspring, son, who will crush the head of the demonic forces, will take away their power, even though they will strike his heel, they'll injure him. And this is generally understood by theologians as a long-range prophecy about the coming of Christ and the fact that he would disarm the powers of darkness and they would seek to strike him by injuring him and bringing death to him. But of course he rose again from death. So. The spiritual battle of which this is an incident is a much bigger event that really encompasses most of the biblical narrative from the fall of man right the way through to the final judgment and the bringing in of the eternal age, the new heaven and the new earth. And in the time of Jesus, he brings in the kingdom of God and he understands this to be a direct challenge to the activity of demons to deceive and disrupt human life and to destroy human life. And so we find one of the main events that happens in the life of Jesus in terms of his ministry is the casting out of evil spirits or demonic forces that have intruded in, lodged in people's lives in a small or bigger way, caused them distress, suffering and sickness. So this process of casting out the demons is going on right from the beginning of Jesus' ministry. This is just merely a very dramatic account of something that was taking place regularly. We know that some demonic forces, some evil spirits, operate here on the earth against humanity, seeking to destroy them and undermine them and cause them difficulties. However, Jesus makes clear That all demonic forces are destined for eternal judgment. This is made abundantly clear in, for example, Matthew 25, verse 41. At the end of one of Jesus's parables, when he speaks of judgment of the sheep and the goats, it says, Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. The eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. This is an unambiguous statement that final judgment will finally remove these evil forces from the sphere of human existence and of divine activity and the new heaven and the new earth. They won't be present. So in that context, The demonic forces here beg Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. So what is the abyss and how does that fit into this overall picture? The abyss, biblically, is a place of confinement prior to eternal judgment. It's like the prison cell in the police station before you go to the the judge and then you go to permanent prison it's a place of confinement and that confinement uh, was what they didn't want to have because that would take them out of the sphere of being able to influence human life and disrupt the purposes of god and this word abyss is used in the book of revelation with a similar meaning for example we have in revelation 20 Verses one to three, a statement of judgment upon Satan at a particular period in this eschatological history. And it says, I saw an angel coming down out of heaven with the key of the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked him. And sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. Well, the abyss here is a place of confinement prior to final judgment, like a prison cell, like a police cell prior to a public judgment. And so the demonic forces were seeking to avoid going to the abyss and being taken out of the sphere of human activity. Now, Jesus allowed them to go into this herd of pigs. This is an interesting circumstance. Mark describes this herd of pigs as numbering 2,000. We're talking about a very large number of animals on the hillside, just by the lake. And as they came out, they went into the pigs and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. Now, why did Jesus allow this to happen? Theologians have debated this. We don't have an absolute answer to that question, but it appears to me that he allowed something visible and dramatic to take place, to indicate the way that he had freed these two men from the oppression of dark spirits and taken their power away it would be visible to those around that something has happened in these men, positive, and something's happened in the pigs, negative, which has caused them to suddenly, inexplicably, rush over the edge of the cliff and fall into the sea. It was a sign to the community of the power of Jesus, a very visible sign that they would never forget. Now the response of the people was surprise, amazement, and fear. They wondered what Jesus might do next. They wondered how to deal with someone with so much spiritual power. This is in a world where everybody believed in these type of spiritual realities. That's why some modern people find it very difficult to understand these stories, because these spiritualities were accepted by Jewish people, but also Gentile nations around had a belief in personal evil and good and evil forces And they wanted to restrict their activity. Now modern man is struggling with these concepts very often. Especially in the Western world. But we need to go back to the Bible and get into not just the narrative. But also the spiritual realities that the narrative represents. And realise that those spiritual realities still exist today. So. The two men, the one is mentioned in Luke, but two in Matthew, go back to their homes and they tell of what Jesus has done. So they are beginning to prepare the way for the gospel and the good news to come to their territory. Meanwhile, the people out of fear ask Jesus to leave and he returns back to the other side of the lake and continues his ministry. Now, with all this in mind, let me draw the threads together with a few reflections. What can we learn? First of all, I notice here the extraordinary endurance and energy and capacity of Jesus. He's had a huge schedule. He's been incredibly busy and tired. He's had a very dramatic and traumatic experience on the lake, woken up from sleep in the middle of the night with a huge storm, having to calm the storm and then calm his disciples down. But he's still full of power Compassion and care for these two terribly distressed men. And he is able to set them free in a wonderful way. I think it's a beautiful story. And it reminds us that the ministry of the church will always have an element of setting people free from spiritual evil, the force of spiritual evil. But if we go right back to the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and we go right back to his return to Nazareth in the very first days of his ministry when he was starting his first tour of Galilee, we find that when he stood up in the synagogue in Nazareth and he took the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, he read some very powerful words and he claimed that these words were being fulfilled right there and right then and were going to be fulfilled in his ministry And he read the following words. Now I want you to think about these words in the light of the event that's just happened here for these two demonised men in the region of Gadara on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. Luke 4, 18 and 19. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight, to set the oppressed free And to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Well, here's an example of this scripture being fulfilled. He has proclaimed good news to the poor. These men were poor. He has caused the oppressed to be set free. And he is proclaiming the year of God's favour. So it's a wonderful story. And as so often with things in the gospel, it will pave the way for other events that will happen because this region ultimately is going to be evangelized more heavily and people are going to believe from here. Whilst Jesus at this particular time is focusing mostly on the Jewish community on the Gentile side, we can be sure there's grace for Gentile communities that is going to be expressed in the future. This is a prophetic sign of what that grace is going to look like and we can take great encouragement from that, because that story of course is still being rolled out in the world today. There is grace for every single nation and some nations in the world, even today in the 21st century, haven't yet really had a full opportunity to receive the grace of God through the gospel. But that opportunity will surely come, as it did on that day to those two men right on the fringes of their society, outcasts, suffering alone, they were set free and that opened up the door for many in their communities to believe and to follow the Jewish Messiah, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Thanks for listening. You have been listening to Martin Charlesworth for Word Online. To find out more, visit wordonline.org.